snap. Hillside. Man, there's a lot of you guys. It's mad bright up in here. I feel like I'm going to get a tan. It's, that joint is bright. God is good, amen? It was so powerful during worship. I was just sitting over there worshiping. And, and if you don't know who I am, my name is Marcus Corpening. I'm the campus pastor over at the Itaewon campus. And so the Itaewon campus, obviously, is located in Itaewon. And so I've been pastoring or being the campus pastor there uh, since the beginning of this year. And I left, well, they sent out a team of 10 of us from Hillside in 2010. And uh, since that time, we've all been worshiping the 10 of us. And now we've multiplied to 90. We're around 90, 95 over there. I want to thank you guys because it's Hillside that has prayed and has sown in and has sacrificed to see Itaewon to get to where it's at. And so even to see the increase that has hit Hillside, it brings so much joy to my heart. And as we were worshiping, I just started like, I guess I'm a crier kind of sometimes. I'm only a crier when the anointing comes, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I just started crying and, and I just felt God's presence so thick. And I just felt like God began to remind me, Marcus, do you remember who you were when you walked into this sanctuary? You know, I came here as an exchange student in 2007 and I came when New Philly was JSEM and it was not packed with 200 people. You know, there was like 80 tops, you know, and at that time I was totally a different person. And God was like, do you remember? Do you remember the grace that I poured out over your life? Do you remember how much power I poured into you? You know, so many of us, you come here to Hillside and you're here and you know the worship and Pastor John leads in worship and Pastor Christian or Pastor Aaron gets up and they deliver a powerful message. And then you go back home and you're like, well, that was Hillside. Maybe you've been attending Hillside for years and after a while you begin to just get used to it. But I want to tell you that God's power is here. God's transformational power is here. His Holy Spirit is here. And every person that enters this door, when you come in, when you leave, you don't leave the same way you came. When I came as an exchange student, I was broken. I was, I hated myself. I hated people around me. I didn't really have a real faith in God. I used people for my own needs. But by the time I left this sanctuary, by the time I was being sent out to Itaewon, I was totally a different person. Jesus came. He came with his power. He destroyed the work of the devil in my life. Even if it's your first service today, I want to tell you, that's what Jesus wants to do in you. Yeah, I just felt like God wanted me to share that. Man, God is good. God is so good. I want you to turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians Chapter one. I'm shaking. Man, God is here. I feel that the Lord has a word for us today. I got all my notes wet. It must mean I'm not going to use them today. 
the title of this message, if you're taking notes, is It's All Jesus. It's All Jesus. We're going to read together. We're going to read from verses 10 to 17. How about I take the even and you take the odd? I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas or I follow Christ. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be empty of his power. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for every single person in this room. I thank you, God, that each and every person in this room, Lord, you chose to be here today. And I thank you, Lord, that by your spirit today, God, you're going to speak to them. So, Father, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that your spirit would come, that your spirit would fall and it would be heavy upon each and every one of us in this place, Lord. That, Father, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened to know you, God, to know you, to see you, to touch you, God. Lord, I just bless your people, God, in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. We're going to break down this passage and we're going to go through it verse by verse because it's good for us. All the power is in the word. You know, the power is not in the man of God preaching. All the power is coming from God's word and God's spirit. And so it's not going to come from any idea that I got that I need to present to you today. It's going to come right from the word so that you know that it's God speaking it, not me. Paul is speaking here to the church in Corinth. You know, that's why the letter is called First Corinthians, because it's it's a part of multiple letters that Paul wrote to this church in Corinth. And Corinth was a city that it was a port city. It was a hub, an international hub of business. And it actually connected. It was a part of the Roman Empire. So it connected it connected Rome to the eastern provinces. I'm giving you guys some you know background to what's going on in this letter. And when Paul's writing this, he's writing it not just to an individual. A lot of times when we read the letters, we think that it's God speaking directly to me. Like Paul decided he was going to sit here and write a letter to John Newfeld. But actually, he's writing it to an entire church. He's writing it to an entire community of people. And it's a community of people who lived in this city that was like, I'm trying to think of the, the best way to. It was kind of like the Shinsai and the Apkujong. To, to like Rome's like Yoido, not Bogongdong. Like, let's not talk about Bogongdong. I live in Bogongdong and I don't want to talk about Bogongdong right now. But, you know, Charles, one of the interns, he went back to, he went back to Living Hope and he started talking about where he stayed. And he was like, man, they had me stand in the ghetto. Like the houses were like next door. There was no yards and it was the ghetto. And I'm listening to this. I'm like, that was my house. 
I said, man, I changed a lot. Well, I thought my, I thought my house in Bogongdong was like upper living, you know. He comes from California. He's like, man, this is the projects. This is ghetto. Corinth is not Bogongdong. Corinth was like Shinsa, you know. It was known for the flashiest displays of wealth. The flashiest displays of wisdom, the flashiest displays of power. Everyone in Corinth, they all wanted to be seen. They all wanted everyone to notice them. You know, I, I used to go to Shinsa, to this street called Karasugil, if you've ever been there. And I used to go there and, and on my Sabbath days, on Monday, because I liked their cafes. So I'd go there, I'd be chilling at a cafe. But I would be chilling, and I would notice that the same people would walk back and forth the entire day. <laughs> And I was like, hold up, you got dressed up. Like, they'd be like, full-blown suit, just walking down the street, back and forth. And I'm like, you got dressed up just to walk back and forth down this street. Really? Like, what's going on? That was Corinth. Corinth, everyone just wanted to be seen. Everyone wanted people to know them. They wanted to be esteemed. And this mindset, this mindset of wanting to be seen, wanting to be esteemed, wanting people to look at them and for them to be known for the wisdom that they had, the power that they could display or the money that they carried. This was the overall culture that you found in Corinth. But the problem was, was that this culture began to infiltrate the church. All of a sudden, what you had in the church was you had people beginning to congregate around other people that they thought were the most wise. Or other people, were, certain people were getting esteemed because they thought, well, I like this person's preaching, but I don't like their preaching. It'd be like you saying, you know, I follow, I like Pastor Christian, but not Pastor Aaron. It'd be, it'd be like you saying, you know, I'm in Emmaus, so I listen to Pastor Aaron, not really Pastor Christian. You know? It's like, you, it's like you saying, well, I attend Hillside, so I don't have to listen to Pastor Marcus. Oh, snap. Oh, snap. Oh. Mm. I just saw that conviction went out. This was Corinth. You know, they had all these people who wanted to be associated with someone who they thought was the wisest. These people that they understood and the people that they thought, oh, well, I like what they have to say. I don't like what they have to say. And all of a sudden, what it began to do in the church is it began to divide the church. All of a sudden, you had people begin to just congregate in their own little cliques. And Paul hears of this. He hears that the church is divided. There's quarreling. There's infighting. What also begins to happen is because people are in their own little cliques, they begin to come up with their own doctrine to justify their immorality. They begin to come up with their own ways of thinking, their own ways of believing so that they could justify the way that they were living. Well, I don't really like the way that this person speaks, but I like the way that he speaks because he gives me a couple loopholes here and there. You know, I can still sleep around because he doesn't really preach too much about holiness. This was Corinth. You know, last week I preached, I talked about Corinth a bit at Itaewon. And I was like, man, Corinth sounds like Itaewon. And I was like, wait, that was bad. I didn't mean it like that. I meant it was multicultural. (laughs) Hillside's multicultural too. You guys have like three black people. 
and Todd and, and John. Sorry, sorry for leaving you guys out. <laughs> and Stephen. Oh, sorry. I'm not going to point you all out one by one. That's not a good sign if I can do that. <laughs> I'm just messing with you guys. But Paul begins to hear of, of this division that's gotten into the church. You know, it's that person that says, you know, what? Well, I don't have to listen to this person. I'm more anointed than this person because I listen to one more podcast than that person. You know, you know, that person in the church, they listen to one more podcast from this anointed person and they think they're more anointed. Oh, well, I went and did this. So therefore, I don't have to listen to you. I can. I'm actually going to sit here and I'm going to go through your preaching because I went to seminary and I didn't go to one that you like. This was Corinth. And Paul hears of it. Paul, the spiritual father who he went and he was preaching at different. He went and he was preaching and he the church of Corinth started because Paul went and preached at a particular household where there are a lot of people from Corinth. And when he preached, the power of God came and they it fell and they all got saved. And that's how the church started. And it began to multiply. It began to grow. It began to increase. You know. But Paul hears about this division. He hears that there are groups that won't associate with other groups. And there are groups that are fighting against another group. And he says, I need to talk to them. So he writes them. And the content I want you to focus on, let's start at verse 10. Paul writes to them and he says, I appeal to you, brothers. Let's stop right there. Paul says, I He hears about all this nonsense that's happening in the house. He hears about all these things that are happening in the family of God, how they're divided, how people are going against one another. And the first thing Paul says, he doesn't say, I command you. He says, I appeal to you. Many times when we read the Bible, we think that God is speaking to us in such a way where he just wants to command us to what we need to do. Do this, do this, don't do this. And that's our understanding of God. That's our understanding of Paul. That's our understanding of Jesus. But when Paul speaks to them, the first thing that comes out of his mouth is not, I command you. You are wrong. You need to do this and don't do this. He says, I appeal to you. That word appeal means I'm I'm trying to lovingly call you into something greater than yourself. Paul uses the same language in Philemon. You you guys heard of Philemon, right? (laughs) Someone was honest. <laughs> it's like Pastor John and Pastor Nita were like, yes, we know Philemon. Everyone else is like, no, we don't. Philemon, is, it's in the New Testament. <laughs> Jamie. <laughs> it's in the New Testament. And Philemon is a letter in which where Paul was in prison. Paul was in prison. And while he was in prison, he met this slave by the name of Onesimus. And he meets this slave and, and Paul, you know, Paul being Paul, the guy becomes a Christian, this slave, but he was a runaway slave. That's why he was actually in prison. And so Paul is writing to his owner, writing to his master Philemon, and he's speaking to Philemon and he's hoping that when Onesimus is released and when he's returned to Philemon, that Philemon would treat him like a brother and not like just property. Because he knew that the law of the time was that when a slave ran away and it was returned, usually they were punished harshly or even killed. So Paul writes to him and he says, you know what, Philemon, I want to talk to you. I could be bold enough in the Lord to command you to do what is right here. But for love's sake, I'm going to appeal to you. 
See, you can tell you can tell about a person's level of sonship by the way that the father decides to speak to them. See, when a person's walking in sonship, the father, he could command them. He can tell you exactly what to do because he knows that you're going to do it, but he can also appeal to you. You know, there's many times where I would I would do something stupid. And instead of Pastor Christian walking up to me and just being like, that was dumb. Why'd you do that? He says. Marcus, why don't you just think about doing this instead? It's in love in his heart, his father's heart. That's God's heart for us. But a person that's not walking in sonship, a person that's not in that place, their heart is hard. The father wants to command you. He wants to just. (laughs) Many times God wants to do that, but instead he chooses to appeal. You got to understand the power of just that one statement. Paul saying, I appeal to you. Many people, they're afraid of sonship. They're afraid of submission. They're afraid of coming into obedience because they think that the man and woman of God just wants to command them to what to do. Do this. Don't do this. Do this. But that's not the heart of the father. No, God's heart is not to command you to what you should do. He spoke. He wants to appeal to you. He wants to call you into something greater than yourself. He wants to still give you that choice to say, I'm better than this life that I'm living. So I appeal to you. So Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers. He keeps on. We're still in the same verse. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he speaks to them, he doesn't speak on his own authority. Paul doesn't write to them and talk to them just because Paul heard about it and Paul thinks it's wrong and Paul wants them to change. No, see, when Paul spoke to them, He spoke to them because of Jesus. When Paul, when Paul counseled them, he counseled them because of Jesus. When Paul called them to a greater level of living, when Paul was calling them out of their foolishness, he did it all because of Jesus. He did it because of what Jesus had done in their lives. You know, I think about whenever I, um, when I was an exchange student. I don't know why I'm even going down this path, but I'm going, okay, John gave me a nod, so I'm going to do it. (laughs) And I had met the Lord and I came to Korea. We're not going to get into why I came. I came to Korea. Okay. I came because of a girl. Okay. (laughs) Don't judge me. I came to Korea. And I'd only been a Christian for about six months, but I was, I was, uh, I don't know. I became a Christian, but like I immediately backslid. I don't know how you do that, but like I just stepped in and then I just ran back, you know, I don't know how I did it, but I was living this double life. And then I come to Korea and I meet, I meet pastor Christian. He was just Christian. Then he wasn't a pastor. He was doing campus ministry and each week he was discipling me. Each week he was sowing into my life. Each week we would go through these studies and and we would we would come to the end of it and he'd be like, Marcus, yeah? He's like, you know you need to pray about this, right? 
okay. And then he would like lay hands on me and I'd always get weirded out because he would speak in this language I couldn't understand. So he'd be, he just, he was so bold. He'd just be like, and I was like, oh, Jesus, I just uh, repent right now, you know? (laughs) But over the course of that semester, I began to change. Over the course of that time, as God was just sowing into my life, I noticed that I began to become different. But there were still areas in my heart I had yet to give to Jesus. And so I, I would go to Friday fire. <laughs> I would pray in Friday fire. And then I'd exit Friday fire. And I'd call my homies like, where you at? Are you guys in home day? All right, let's roll. <laughs> I'd go get wasted. Go get drunk. You know, just do foolish things. And then all of a sudden, it, God, all t- he turned it all on his head. And he exposed it. He exposed this double life I was living. And I remember that conversation I had with, with Pastor Christian. I remember that conversation because I sat down and I was so ashamed. I, I put my head, I was just like, you know, if I could have like got on all fours and just put my head in between my legs, I would have. But we were sitting down in a chair. So I just put my head on the table. And I was so ashamed. And I thought he was just going to command me. I thought he was going to just say, Marcus, do you realize how much you've disappointed me? He didn't say that at all. No, what he did start to do is he started to remind me of what Jesus had done in my life. Marcus, you're, you're, you're so much more than this. You realize Jesus, he paid, his, he paid his life. He took the cross on for you that you would not live in this dirt. He took you out of the miry clay. Why would you go back to your own vomit? It's not who God's made you to be. When Paul's speaking to the church in Corinth, he's speaking to them not because of his own conviction. He's speaking to them because of Jesus. He's speaking to them because of what Jesus has done in their life. And I want to tell you that many times when you begin to drift away, it's because you've lost sight. Not, because, not of the church, not of a pastor. You've lost sight of Jesus. You've lost sight of what he's done in your life. The transformation that he has brought in only by his spirit. When you feel that fire has begun to wane, it's because you stopped tasting Jesus. John writes in 1 John, he says, that whom is from the beginning, Jesus, the one whom we have heard about, the one whom we have seen, the one whom we have looked upon, the one whom we have set our eyes upon, but not just the one that we have heard about and seen. Many Christians have heard about Jesus. Many Christians have even seen them in their heart. But he says the one that we have gazed upon, the one that we have looked upon intently. He says the one that we have handled with our hands. Many Christians, we are crying out all the time for God to touch us. But God wants a church that is passionate enough to reach out and touch him. When God touches you, you change. But when you get to a point where you get passionate enough to touch God, everybody changes. That's where Paul was speaking from. He's saying, I'm speaking to you about a Jesus that I have touched. That I have gotten so close to, I know his heart. That's why I'm appealing to you because they had lost sight of it. Their eyes were on the flesh. Their eyes were upon only the things that were going to esteem them. 
But what does Paul, what is he talking to them about? He appeals to them in the name of the Lord Jesus. But what does he say? We're, we're still in verse 10. <laughs> Come on. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what does he appeal for? He says that all of you would agree. Somebody say agree. agree. And that there be no divisions among you. Somebody say no divisions. And that you be united. Somebody say united. United. In the same mind and the same judgment. Paul comes to them and he appeals to them. But you know what he wants? He wants unity. He wants them to be one. See, people had gotten separated. They begin to do their own thing. They begin to, you know. Like I said, they were fragmented. And the first thing Paul comes in and he says, I appeal to you by the name of the Lord Jesus that you would be one. Pastor Christian preached a whole message on the house of God last week. Oikos, right? Paul comes to them and he he says, I want you to be one. I want you to be one family. I want you to be united. I want you to be together. Why does he do that? He does that because it's only... In unity, it's only in oneness that God's power and love is displayed to a lost world. It's not through just your individual ministry that God's power goes out. But it's when we're all together, when we're unified, when you're in fellowship with the person next to you. Jesus said in John 13, 35, he said, by this, that the world would know that you're my disciples if you love one another. First John says that if you say you love God, yet hate your brother, he is a liar. And the love of God is not in him. The church in Corinth, they were saying, I love you, Jesus. I love you, God. I love this, this pastor. I love this person. But pff, them over there, pff, I ain't going to talk to them. They don't speak my love language. I don't want to mess with them. But the world knows About the love of God through the way that you and I love one another. That's how God's love is poured out. Many people think, well, if I just go out and I just speak to as many non-Christians as possible, I'm just going to go to the clubs. I'm just going to go. I'm just going to love on as many people. as. Don't you see me? I'm doing my initiative evangelism. But you're not connected to the people in the body. And the people that you're supposed to be evangelizing to are evangelizing to you. And when they look at you, they don't see the love that you have with the person next to you. They don't see the way that you fellowship with that fellow believer and how when you guys get together and you begin to talk, your hearts become alive. They don't see how when you get in that place of fellowship, God begins to transform you through a word or through a prophecy or through the person next to you. They just see you by yourself. And you're trying to talk to them about Jesus, but there's not, the love isn't evident because you're not loving people in the body. It's in unity that God's love is poured out. God's anointing is released through unity. Psalm 133, 1 and 2. Turn there if you, if, if you can, real quick. It should be easy to get to the Psalms. Psalm 133, 1 to 2, it says, Behold, 
how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. You know, when the psalmist writes how good it is, I was listening to a message by by Pastor Benjamin Robinson about how God is good. And he talked about how the Hebrew word for good was the highest superlative in the Hebrew language. You didn't say something was great. If you wanted to say something was great or awesome, you said it was good. And here the psalmist says how good it is, how amazing it is, how far above anything else, how amazing it is that brothers, when brothers dwell in unity. And then he begins to say, it is like the anointing oil, right? Like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. That, that word, when it talks about the anointing oil in, in the Old Testament, it's talking about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That comes in unity. It's the power of God that comes when brothers and sisters are together. Turn to Acts 2. Have you flip around a little bit? We love to talk about when God's power came from on high, right? I'm going to read Acts 2, 1 and 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all, what? Everyone say it together. In one place. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. It didn't say that Peter's homies were over here and John's homies were down the street. They were all together. And when they were all together in one place, that's when the Holy Spirit came. You know why God's power comes in such... Like just boom, his power is just so thick here at this church. It's because we're all in one accord. I was listening to, to Pastor Charles from Living Hope when he gave his testimony again after he said that my house was a ghetto. And he also said I was the only black person in Korea, which is a lie. There are 15 of us. He said, he said, man, you know, the craziest thing about that church, those people are crazy. He just kept saying crazy over and over. I was like, I think he thinks we're crazy. He was like, man, they seek God all the time. They meet together two hours before Sunday service and they begin to seek the face of God together. They come together on Fridays at their Friday prayer meeting and they seek the face of God together. They come together on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays all together in one accord and they seek the face of God together. You want to know why God's power and God's healing and deliverance, why we have the testimonies that are poured out in this house. You want to know why it's here? It's not here because of one person. It's here because we all came together. It's because when God's bride comes together in one voice, in one accord, in unity, God can't help but pour out his spirit. God can't help but bring healing and deliverance. God looks at them and he says, they are seeking my face. I'm going to go and seek them. You know why we see God's power go out in missions? Why we see a thousand salvations, while we see a hundred people getting healed, while we see the blind see, 
and the deaf hear and the lame walk. While we see these amazing testimonies, it's because we're unified. The teams are unified when they get sent and the house is unified in the sending. Everyone's saying, you know, what? we are all in one accord. You know, I was thinking about the Myanmar trip when I went in 2009. And when I look back, I look at that trip. A part of me wants to say, like, you know, other people have come up to me and they're like, man, because we saw God's fire fall. We saw like every place we went, there was just people laid out everywhere. And like, it was crazy. Like even the team members were getting just laid out. It's like, you're supposed to be ministering. Why are you on the floor? Get up, you know? And I was thinking about why did that happen? Why did that happen? God spoke to me. It's because we were one. It wasn't, people are like, it's because you had a superstar team. I don't know why I did that voice, but. <laughs> you know, Pastor John Michael was leading the team. I was, I was on that team as well as Pastor Myungwa, um, Pastor Diana, our missions director, Lisa, Brady. Brady's awesome. Diddy, David Kang, our multimedia team leader. You know, there's a number of people. I don't want to list everyone, but. And when I look at it now, I'm like, yeah, man, that that team was stacked. (laughs) Snap, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) No. If you would have met us in 2009, you would have not said that team was stacked. (laughs) You would have said, we need to pray for the Myanmar team. You know, Diddy, you think Diddy's offensive? Diddy was offensive. Like, he used to say stuff to me. I was like, is, is, he, is he saved? Is he Christian? I didn't know you could say stuff like that and still be saved. You know? Like, Myungwa, Pastor Myungwa, she, she's a powerful woman of God now. Back then, she was crying in every staff meeting. Anytime anybody said anything to her, I was like, hey, Myungwa, she I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I remember going to Myanmar and before that I went to India and on the India trip, I did not do a single altar call. I was so afraid. Like I would preach. I'm like, and God wants to touch you and he wants to heal you. And let's pray. <laughs> all right. All right. And I just get off stage. So afraid. Brady. I mean, Brady's an amazing man of God now. He was an amazing man of God back then. But I remember first meeting Brady and Brady walked up to me and he said, you're wearing this robe. And I looked at my clothes and I was like, this is a button down. (laughs) You know, he said, I just saw all this stuff on your shoes. I was like, you trying to say I need to get new shoes? Like what you what you saying right now? But when we went. When the house sent us, when we were unified and going out, you know what we saw? God's firefall everywhere we went. We saw God use us in amazing ways. And it was all because we were unified. And we were unified around Jesus. Around what he had done in our lives. Around what he meant to each and every one of us. And that was something that we wanted to share. That's what it was about. But in in the church... In Corinth, they didn't have that. Instead, it was each and every each individual seeking their own glory. Each individual wanting to be exalted above the individual next to them. 
I mean, if we went on a missions trip where it was like that, it'd be chaos. You know, I'm trying to preach somebody taking the mic for me, you know. And I'm from the hood. We may fight on the, you know, I'm just saying. Like, it would be chaos. I rem- but when we went on that trip, I remember because Diddy, like, Diddy was the videographer. And a lot of times Satan attacks the, pe- the videographer and the photographer and says, all you do is take pictures. That's usually what Satan sounds like. All you do is take pictures. All you do is video record. But Diddy said, no, you know what? I believe that I'm meant to be a part of this team. I'm a unified part. We are of the same mind. We are of the same judgment. And so the whole time Diddy was filming, he was speaking in tongues. He was just sha-la-la-ba, la-la-la-ba. Ya-la-la-ba, la-la-la-ba, ya-la-la-ba. And it was crazy because he would pray, God, direct me to where, to the testimonies that you want me to highlight. And all of a sudden he'd be like, boom, boom. He would catch it. It says we're unified. It says we're one. Why does Paul emphasize this? Because the people were fragmented. I think we're finally done with verse 10. (laughs) He said, because it's been reported to me by close people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas. Or then you have the hyper-spiritual people that said, I don't follow any man, I only follow Jesus. It's just me and Christ, and I don't let any man speak to me. And then they just completely disregard all the passages where it says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Where in Romans it says that you should submit to the governing authorities, even if they're unjust. Many Christians are afraid of submitting because they're, what if this man or woman of God over me is unjust? Well, Paul, he didn't make any distinction. He said, it's not up for you to decide. He just said, just trust God. Trust God. But there was this division and it was reported among them that there was quarreling. And this word quarrel, it, it means to be selfish. In the Greek, it, it means to have selfish ambition. Selfish ambition so much so that you disregard the person next to you. You know, actually, this word, this word is used in James 3, 14 to 16. He says, if you have bitter jealousy or selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be division in every vile practice. You know, anytime there's division, anytime there's quarreling, anytime you find yourself separated from a person next to you, it's because somewhere in that relationship, there is demonic wisdom. Because somewhere in that place, there is selfish ambition that has gotten in. There is a demonic revelation that's gotten in. Not not God. He says... If there's selfish ambition, if there's jealousy. What began to divide the church was jealousy. You know, why don't I get this? Why do they always get it? What about me? Jealousy is demonic wisdom. The church in Corinth, they loved wisdom, but it was demonic wisdom. Jealousy is demonic wisdom. Envy, demonic wisdom. When they had strife fighting that was all inspired by the flesh and by demons 
See, demonic wisdom is deception. Jealousy, envy, strife, quarreling, it's all deception. He said it's been reported that there is deception in your midst. And demonic deception is always rooted in a misinterpretation of who Jesus is. It's always rooted in a misinterpretation of who God is and what God wants to do in your life. See, you can't envy or be jealous of someone if you have a full revelation of who Jesus is. When you recognize that Jesus paid his all in all, he gave up his precious blood for you. It's really hard to be jealous. I I mean, I'm happy for you, but Jesus died for me, too. That rhymes. Like. What began to happen was there was all this division because the people began to misinterpret the gospel. They begin to think that following Jesus was all about making them godlike and not godly. They begin to think that following Jesus was simply all about empowering them and making them to be the strongest person so that other people could rally around them and giving them more esteem and giving them a higher place when it was really all about making them more like Jesus. I was I watched the movie Father of Lights. And the one thing I remember from that movie was there's a lot that happened. But the one thing that hit me the hardest was when this guy by the name of Todd White, like he's got like these crazy uh, dreadlocks. My little sister got dreadlocks recently. I was like, what's going on? It's, I like dreadlocks. I used to have like many ones, but let's not talk about it. Some of y'all just judged me. I saw you were like, no, 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 no. He's got these dreadlocks. He wears like all this tribal clothing and stuff. And he's just walking around. He's just chilling. And he in the and he's just praying for people on the street. He's loving on every single person that comes around and he's seeing the power of God manifest. He's just loving on people. That's what he was doing. He was loving on people and God's power showed up through that love. And one thing he said, he said, he said it like he was like, bro, if you don't have Jesus in you, he said, if people can't see the Jesus in you, they don't want to hear what you're saying. If it's all about your wisdom, all about your power, your glory, your esteem. There is no power. There is no glory. There is no esteem. Because really, it's all about Jesus. When you begin to understand that that's what the gospel is about. It's about bringing you into that fellowship, bringing you into that love relationship with who Jesus is. When you begin to understand that that's really what it's about. Even following your leaders, Paul begins to talk and he says some crazy things. He says, did I die for you? Was I the one crucified for you? Did I take on the cross? Did I baptize you? I know we just had baptism. So I was thinking about, I was like, should I be like, did Pastor Christian baptize you? And other people like, yes, you know. But Paul's like, did I baptize you? Actually, I thank God that I didn't baptize most of you. Why? Because they begin to think that following Paul was about making them more God, God-like, lifting them up and making them to be the, the head where everyone rallies around them. When he said, I didn't come to you with eloquent wisdom, I didn't come to you to lift, to exalt you in that kind of way. I came to you 
Not with eloquent wisdom. Not with flashy speech. But I came to you to preach the gospel. Lest the cross be stripped of his power. You know, the leaders here in this house. They don't. We don't want you to look at us in such a way in which you exalt us above Jesus. We don't want you to put such a. They began to the church of Corinth began to put such a burden on Paul in which they were saying, Paul, you you're greater than Jesus. It wasn't about that. Trust me, Pastor Christian does not want you to put him above Jesus. Pastor Aaron, that's not their heart. That's not my heart. I know I don't want to be put above Jesus. It's all about directing you to Jesus. Because Jesus is where the power is. Jesus is where the wisdom is. Jesus is where all the the Holy Spirit, supernatural signs and wonders. That's where the love is. That's where it all is. It's all in Jesus. It's not in me. Well, he lives in me, but it's not me, me. It's Jesus. It's all Jesus. That's why we love one another. That's why we're in this household together. That's why we're in this family. That's why we can speak to a person beside us in love. Not because we want to be right or we want to be exalted or I want to show you how wise I am. For a season, that was my mindset. Let me be real. I'd share a prophetic word. I'd preach a message. And it was all about me. And I wanted people to look at me and say, man, Marcus... Man, that was great, man. You're so wise. You're so awesome. But man, God hit me so hard and he said, Marcus, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. Remember where you were. Remember who you used to be when you walked through these doors. It was Jesus who saved you. It's Jesus who sustains you. Is Jesus who will take you and glorify. Church, let's pray. You know, the reason God calls you to submit to your leaders, it has less to do with your leaders and it has more to do with him. Because God knows if you can honor God, you can honor God through honoring your leaders. When God speaks to you directly, you'll have that heart to really go. But if it's all about me and all about what I'm going to get. Then what begins to happen is division. And we begin to think that it's all about making us more powerful rather than making us more like Jesus. Jesus, he's the, the best. He's the best that there ever has been.
He's the best that there ever will be. He's the one in whom we want to fellowship with, to share with, to become more like. The word of God says that Jesus, he's the desire of the nations. So right now, I just want to give you a moment to respond. And if there's been any division or any selfish ambition, jealousy, envy, any of that in your heart, I want you to just give it to God right now. Say, God, you know what? I repent. I repent of that comparison, that jealousy, that me setting, me using the gospel as a means to exalt myself, that selfish ambition and And Lord, I just confess today that it's all about you and it's all about your family. That God, I want you to love to me, but also love through me to other people around me. So all right, church, why don't you just begin to start praying right now? Just begin to lay that down for me.